dismissed for Kids City. Our scripture reading for today is taken from the book of James, chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. And this can be found on page 1012 of the Blue Bibles in the pews. Again, the scripture text is James 3, chapter, chapter, James chapter 3, verse 13 through 18. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Nick, for reading. And uh, good morning and welcome to HCC Northside. Uh, my name is Kyle. I'm the pastor here. And if I haven't uh, met you yet, I hope to be able to do so before the day is out. And if you were away last weekend for the Thanksgiving holiday, it's great to have you back. Uh, and as a sign that uh, sometimes I don't plan ahead very well and sometimes Sully doesn't read my emails, uh, our, our second offering is actually for the global ministry partners for a, a Christmas gift for them and not for the, the deacon fund as we normally do each month. So please let me invite you to give uh, generously to um, that gift for our global ministry partners as a, as a Christmas gift to them. Uh, this morning, I, I want to talk about how to be wise. And I was preparing this morning, I was trying to figure out how to talk about wisdom because in our contemporary lives, in our contemporary culture, the idea of wisdom can feel kind of exotic or old or foreign. My first thought, I kid you not, my first thought was, when I was thinking of a good quote about wisdom, was to look up quotes from Yoda. Seriously, Yoda was my first mental association with wisdom because he says things like, Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. That's very wise. It's a good line. But it's Yoda. He's a little green alien. And he's really old. And he's animatronic or computer generated, depending on the movie. He's he's not real. He's not of this world. And I thought, if there is some modern equivalent to this ancient exotic idea of wisdom that that, that captures the kind of wisdom that we most care about, it's life hacks. That's our wisdom, life hacks. So I went to lifehack.org, and this is what the landing page says. This is it's a message from the from Leon Ho, the the CEO of lifehack.org. It says, "Achieve your life goals and start living your best life." Are you struggling to meet expectations and carry the weight of your responsibilities? I'll teach you proven practical skills to break free from procrastination, find inner motivation, and overcome your fears. Whether at work or at home, it's time to take your quality of life to the next level. That's what we mean by wisdom. It's about our quality of life. It's about our, our productivity. It's about our happiness. And that's so different from what this passage in the book of James means about wisdom. It's not about productivity. It's about humility. And it's not about happiness. 
It's about peace. And it's not about quality of life. It's about the quality of relationships, of your relationships with other people, especially the relationships within the church. That's true wisdom. So, how to be truly wise. Well, let's pray together as we listen to what God says about wisdom. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, your word tells us that blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. She's a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So Lord, we ask for your help to lay hold of this infinitely precious commodity, which is wisdom. We want to be blessed by finding wisdom. So help us as we listen to what you say about wisdom. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So how to be wise, or rather, how to be truly wise. Because there's a kind of wisdom that isn't really wisdom at all, and it looks completely different from real wisdom. In our passage, James, the author, gives two different portraits of two different kinds of wisdoms. There's a portrait of what is not really wisdom, and there's a portrait of what is really wisdom. And as we look at those two portraits, we'll consider, well, how do you get to the real thing? So first of all, a portrait of what is not really wisdom. James begins this passage with a challenge. A challenge to those people who are calling themselves wise, who think of themselves as wise, but who may not actually be wise. Look at that challenge in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, the point is pretty simple. If you say you're wise, prove it. Show your wisdom by your good conduct, by how you live. It's hard to say what exactly is going on in the church that James is writing to, but at least it seems that at least some people in this church need to be challenged in how they understand their own wisdom. Prove it, James says. Remember, James, we're calling this, this sermon series in James True Religion because James is really concerned with the faith and the worship which is genuine. He has zero patience for any kind of lip service Christianity which does not affect how you live in the most practical ways. And if you were with us last week, you remember how James spends a lot of time talking about your tongue, your, your speech. What you say matters. There's something wrong with the same tongue praising God and cursing other people. So now James transitions from what you say to this broader category of your good conduct, which comes from true wisdom. If you say you're wise, prove it. True wisdom will produce good conduct. And, James says, it will produce humility. The meekness of wisdom means the humility that comes from wisdom. In other words, show me how wise you are by showing me how humble you are. That's, that's the challenge. So if true wisdom looks like good conduct done in humility, that looks very different from the picture he paints in the following verses. It's a portrait of what's not wisdom. Look at that, starting in verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. So if James says, show me your wisdom by your, your, your good conduct and your humility, this portrait of what's not really wisdom looks very different. Not humility, but bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy is where, where you want what other people have. Their wealth, their power, their, their talents, their looks. You want what other people have, and you feel that it's a matter of cosmic injustice that you don't have those things. And you resent those people who do have them. You deserve what they have. They don't. That's, that's bitter jealousy. Ed Welch, a counselor, talks about meeting with a man who had convinced himself that he deserved to have an equal amount of wealth as his brother. And it, was really, it really was all in his head. It, 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 wasn't, it wasn't that he had gotten a bad deal from his parents' wills, but the truth was that his brother was a stable, professionally successful man, whereas he was not any of those things. And he descended into unemployment and drug addiction and madness, all the while being consumed with jealousy for his brother's wealth. The novelist Gore Vidal has a line, and this is also the title of a biography of Vidal's life. It says, every time my friend succeeds, something inside me dies. And when I first heard that line, I thought, what is a narcissistic, self-absorbed child? But then I started thinking, I actually know exactly what he means, because I've been there. I see my peers on social media. I talk to my colleagues in the office. I know exactly what happens in my heart when I hear what goes well for someone else and it hasn't gone well for me. It's not fair. He doesn't deserve it. I do. That's bitter jealousy. And it's paired with this phrase, selfish ambition. One scholar says that what selfish ambition in the church looks like, like is that person who has deceived himself that he's fighting for the truth, when actually what everyone else can see, what God can see, is that he's fighting for himself. He wants to win. He has to win. He has to be the one who calls the shots. A few years ago, very recently, the, the Pew Research Center did a study on the ambitions of high schoolers. So what do you want to be when you grow up was the, the basic premise. What, what, do you, what kind of person do you hope to be? And it was in the context of the issue of youth anxiety. So you know, young people are really anxious. So is it related to what they want out of life? And what the study found was that young people say that they have a stronger desire to have a successful career than they do to help people in need or to get married, which means that their ambitions for themselves are higher and stronger when those ambitions are limited to themselves and don't include other people. This sounds kind of like selfish ambition. And I don't say that to sound like a, a crotchety old man shaking his, his head at those worthless kids. The, the, the point is that selfish ambition is something that tempts us both as a cultural idol and as something that comes out of our own hearts. One of my heroes is John Stott, who, who died a few years ago. My, my oldest son's middle name is Stott. That's what he, he means to me. He's a, a wonderful man. And I, I got to meet him and get his autograph, like, like, like the fanboy that I was on one of his, his last uh, trips to America before he became 
too frail to travel anymore. So a, a very cherished person to me, even though I never knew him personally. But he was a very ambitious man. He was extremely ambitious. His ministry started in, in London and, and became international. And he started organizations and movements. He preached thousands of times. He wrote, I don't know how many books. But the title of one of the, the biographies of his life is called Godly Ambition. Which is a way of saying that he gave his life in service to Jesus and other people, but there were times when it was hard to distinguish that godly ambition, that good ambition, from that just ambition. And I see myself in that, in that too. A few years ago, I was riding down to the office on the train, and I was reading a book of letters from a pastor in Philly to, to church members and to pastors, the missionaries, and in a few letters to people in ministry, he wrote how it's imperative that, that your deepest motivation in, in your ministry is the glory of God, not, not, not your own glory, not your own ambitions, not your own desires for success. And I was reading that, I, I stopped for a moment, and I, I just looked out the window, and I, I thought about my own ministry, all, all that I, I hope to accomplish in my ministry. And I realized in a, a moment of spiritual clarity just how deceitful the heart can be. Because selfish ambition is a very real temptation that I face. And when you put this jealousy and selfish ambition together in the context of a church, and it's not checked, James says in verse 13, you get disorder in every vile practice. You get partisanship. You get conflict. You get, you get people clawing their way to the top, not caring who they have to run over in the process. It's not just something that you need to deal with as you, as you life hack your way to the best you you can be. It's something James is saying, something that can tear a church apart. That's how serious it is. Watch out for it. So James says, if that's what's going on in your heart, don't boast and be false to the truth, verse 14 says. To put that another way, don't say that you are wise because you're not. That's not true wisdom. That's not wisdom from above. Verse 15 tells us where this wisdom actually comes from. It's, it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It's, it's not heavenly. It's earthly. It's not spiritual. It's not from the Holy Spirit. It's unspiritual. It's, it's fleshly, you might say. It's not from God. It's from hell. It's demonic. It's not wisdom from above. It's, it's wisdom from below. There was a medieval English theologian named Bede, uh, the, the, venerable, the venerable Bede, as some people called him, though I'm sure his mother just called him Bede. But here's what he said about this passage. He said, The heart is like a root and contains within it itself all the fruit of the action which proceeds from it. Someone who operates from a spirit of jealousy and strife will do nothing which is not tainted with evil, however good it may appear to others. Think, think about it. James is saying that you could convince yourself that you're wise. You could even convince other people that you're wise, that you're right, that you're for the truth. But when the real story is jealousy and selfish ambition... Something very different is going on in you. And you've got lots of people, we have lots of people doing that in a church. It's a collision course for disaster. So stop there for a moment. Think about jealousy. Think about selfish ambition. 
Think about the spirit that says, I have to win. I have to be right. I have to be in charge. Where does that come from? One writer, and this is interesting, one says how in the Bible, jealousy is more often than not described as something good because it's a quality of God himself. God is jealous for his people. He's, he's passionately jealous for his people. His, his work of sending his son Jesus to, to live and die for the people of God was the supreme act of divine jealousy. God couldn't let his people go. He, he stopped at nothing to get them back. He, he'd go through the cross to rescue those who belong to him. He's, he's a jealous God. And that's a good thing. But what happens when we're jealous when our ambition turns in on ourselves, is that we don't acknowledge God's ownership or his grace. So everything that, everything actually belongs to God. He, he owns everything. It's all his. But no, I think it's mine. I want it to be mine. I'm the rightful owner. And actually, everything God gives us, he gives us as a, as a gift of his grace. Everything is always grace from him. No, I, I have to earn it. I have to prove it. Sinclair Ferguson talks about how jealousy is a mark of the legal spirit. So jealousy can be the fruit of legalism. Because I want what's mine. I want what's fair. I want what what belongs to me. That doesn't come from understanding grace. That comes from being a legalist. In other words... Underneath this jealousy and selfish ambition that James warns us about is actually a legalistic blindness to God. That's where jealousy and selfish ambition come from. And that's not wisdom. So a portrait of of what's not really wisdom. Second, another portrait. A portrait of what is really wisdom. Read with me in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So if that legalistic, every man for himself spirit is not the wisdom from above, this is, this is wisdom from above. It's real wisdom, wisdom from God. It's first pure, he says. The, the defining marker of true wisdom is its purity. Which is to say that if you want to see a truly wise person, look at the person who's innocent, who's blameless. Not, 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 not a perfect person, there are no perfect people, but look at the person whose life is open and on the table and it's pure. It's first pure. And then James gives a, this list of other virtues, and this list of virtues expands what all he means by pure. This is what purity looks like. And even though it's, it's hard to see, it's impossible to see in our English translations, but, but James gets really poetic here in the original language. He, he uses alliteration and poetic coupling to make three sets of phrases here. The first is peaceable, gentle, and open to reason. Peaceable means that being inclined towards peace, being bent towards peace. In your conversations, in your attitude, you, you don't move to conflict unless you have to, but you, you move towards peace. You, you create peace. Something that could turn into your next World War III gets, gets contained and diffused. Why? Because you don't always have to win. And this peaceable, pure, wise person is also 
gentle. When I was in high school, the, the music minister in my church was nearing retirement and actually beginning to, to fight cancer. I found, I found out later when he eventually died from that cancer. But his name was Aubrey Edwards, and no, no relation to mine. But Aubrey was a music minister of the old school, you know, the a big choir with robes, a full orchestra, not a, not, a, not, a, not a praise team, probably no drums. All the songs were from a hymn book. He was old school, and that was in a period in my life when I was very anti-old school. I was the, the stereotypical, I'm 16, so I know better than you, even though you've been doing this your entire career kind of kid. But Aubrey also worked with our youth choir, and on one of our youth choir trips, see, I had to go to his hotel room for, for something or other, I don't remember what, and I don't think I was there for more than a minute or two, but even though I couldn't remember ever having a personal interaction with him before, he and his wife invited me in with a genuine, warm gentleness that unraveled my know-it-all snobbery. It's hard to explain what he did. They they smiled at me. They spoke to me like I had value to them. It was just sincere gentleness. That's That's the best way I can describe it. But from that moment on, I was, I was his. His gentleness won me. It, who cares if I didn't like his music? He was, he was a man that I would, I would follow because he was a man of gentleness. Peaceable, gentle. This is an interesting one. Open to reason. Uh, literally, it's, it means easily persuaded. The idea isn't that you're weak and you give in to pressure when you should be courageous and stand for the truth. But, but it's that when it's not a matter of theological or moral first importance, you can willingly defer to others. You don't have to win. You, you know what you can't compromise on, and you know what you can, and you do. That's, that's true wisdom. The next word group is, Full of mercy and good fruits. It's, it's showing mercy to others instead of, of cold justice. And that, and that mercy is a living, active thing. That the mercy does something. It's, it's full of good fruits. And lastly, it's impartial and sincere. The, the word impartial here means an undivided loyalty to God. And it's paired with sincere, which is literally not hypocritical. All of that is what purity looks like. And when you put all that together, this, this picture of purity, uh, look what comes out of that. Verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And this James, you might, you might remember, uh, might very well be James, the half-brother of Jesus. And maybe he's remembering what Jesus himself said. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Not the cheesemakers, the the peacemakers. You know how with some people they can give off it's kind of give off a kind of aura. You know, like there's something in the air around them, an aura of magnetism or an aura of brilliance or whatever. A truly wise person, James is saying, has an aura of peace. And James isn't talking about what people sometimes call, you know, an inner peace. Like, it's, it's not someone in a perpetual yoga pose. It's, it's someone who creates re, relational ripple effects of peace with other people. 
Now, someone like this is probably a person who avoids lots of conflicts, but that doesn't mean that this person is a conflict avoider. Running from conflict is not peaceableness. But when it is necessary to enter into conflict, because you'll always have those situations, in those conflict situations, the, this peaceable person knows how to move towards you rather than against you. The peaceable person knows how to enter into constructive conflict in a way that's merciful and patient and seeks to understand. That person doesn't come at you with jealousy and ambition. She comes at you with humility. She creates peace. So do you want to see a truly wise person? Follow the trail of a hard-won peace. That's the wise person. So a portrait of what's not really wisdom, a portrait of what really is wisdom. One more point. How do you get this real wisdom? How do you, how do you get to be truly wise like this? I mean, James is clear what it looks like. So, so how do you get it? How do you get that wisdom? Well, remember what James calls this. Wisdom from above. It's wisdom from God. Which means that this portrait of true wisdom is not a natural character trait. It's a gift. I wonder, as we were talking about this, did you have in mind certain kinds of people that you know? You know so there's this jealous, selfish, ambitious, boastful, prideful person. Oh, I, I can think of someone like that. And then there's this pure and peaceable and gentle and merciful person. Yeah, I, I can think of that, that person too. And maybe when you're imagining those people, you're doing something unintentional. You're, you're thinking about the, these character qualities like they're natural personality traits. Some people have them, some people don't. But the truth is that true wisdom isn't natural. It's from above. It's, it's a gift. Because I bet you that you take nearly any person, and in some ways, at some times, they're going to look like either portrait. The writer Bill Bryson has a wonderful book about Australia, the country, which by most estimations is a, a progressive, enlightened, happy country. But at one point, when Bryson is spending uh, time with friends on a, on a train journey across the country, the conversation turns to the issue of the Aborigine population, which, like, like so many native populations, is really struggling. And one of Bryson's friends in an unguarded moment, says they should hang every last one of them. How does a normal, educated, enlightened person say something like that? And it goes the other way, too. In in the movie Crash, one of the characters is a racist, abusive police officer, but at one point, he risks his life to save the life of the very same African-American woman he had once assaulted. How does the racist abuser risk his life to save the life of someone he once hated and objectified? that's, That's the complexity of human beings. On the one hand, there's so much good because we're made in God's image. But on the other hand, there's so much bad because we've turned away from our maker. But what James is saying isn't, here's how some people swing. He's saying, here's something that you only really get in all of its fullness by grace. 
It's not something that you earn. It's not something that you live up to. It's grace. It's a gift. In chapter 1, James says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. This, this wisdom is one of those good and perfect gifts. So let me ask it this way. Do you try to be this kind of wise, pure, peaceable person as if these things were already naturally in you? Or put it this way. Are you trying to get there by trusting yourself? It's not from you. It's a gift. It's from above. And what do you do with a gift? You ask for it. At the very beginning of the letter, James said that if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without approach, and it will be given to him. This is a prayer that God always says yes to. My kids have Amazon wish lists for Christmas, and I don't know how many things they put on there by now. It's probably something like like $5,000 worth of Legos and Nerf guns. And I, they're not going to get everything that's on their list, what they're asking for. Sorry, guys. Santa ain't loaded. God says to you, with this gift, when you ask for it, yes, it's yours. And as you ask for it, what, what, do, you, what do you do with it? You, you receive it, like any gift. And that's faith. It's not a legalistic work. It's faith. And the flip side of the coin of receiving this gift by, of grace by faith is repentance. Repentance of the ways that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition have gripped your heart and turning in faith to the mercy of Christ who is ready to forgive you at every moment when you fall short of this, of this true wisdom. So here's the thing about this with this wisdom from above. It's a gift. It's free. It's yours for the taking. And if you want it, you have to die. That's what repentance says. Dying. C.S. Lewis put it, put it this way. He said, Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death, death of your ambitions and favorite wishes of every day and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being and you will find eternal life. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will ever be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ and you will find him and with everything else thrown in. When you die to your selfish ambitions, when you die to your jealousies, and when you, when you die to yourself and you look to Christ and you look to the wisdom that he gives you and you do that each day, every day, when you repent of your wisdom from below every day and you turn to Jesus and trust in him and rest in him every day, then not only do you find the gift he gives, this wisdom from above, but you find the one who gives you this gift, your father, the giver of every good and perfect gift. And that's how you become truly wise. So a portrait of what's not really wisdom a portrait of what really is wisdom and how you get that true wisdom. How to be wise by receiving the gift.
Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we desire to be people who are first pure, then peaceable, open to, open to reason, gentle, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And we know that these qualities are more than a disposition to friendliness. They're gifts of your grace. So we ask you to, to give us these wisdoms, give us these gifts, give us the gift of this wisdom from above. And as we ask for this gift, a gift which you say that you give us generously without finding fault, we, we acknowledge the ways that our hearts sometimes harbor bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So we turn from those things. Give us the grace to repent of them, to die to them, and to turn in new life to Christ. Change us by your grace, we pray. We're going to take a, a minute or so before we take communion together in silent prayer and Ask for forgiveness where you need forgiveness and ask for help where you need help. So Lord, hear our prayers that we pray now silently for the sake of Christ.